Well, it's in Jesus' name that I greet you this morning. So good to be with each of you again. We enjoy these opportunities to come as a family and to fellowship with you. It's a means of encouraging our spirits, and I trust that we can do the same for you. My mind goes to John chapter 6. And in that passage, Jesus was speaking some hard things to the people. Some things that were maybe hard to understand. Some things that convicted them. And towards the end of that passage, the Scripture says that many who had walked with Jesus, they left Him and walked with Him no more. And you can imagine the disappointment and the anguish of spirit that Jesus felt in in His humanity in that rejection. And Jesus turns to His disciples and says, will you also leave Me? And then Peter in his boldness makes this declaration, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe and are sure that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. We believe that. I think our lesson aim this morning in Sunday school was something about to see our Lord as our only hope and to turn in repentance to Him. The words of the song come to my mind. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above Him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer. You know, we live in a a culture that is so self-sufficient. We don't need anything. In fact, to, to admit that we need something is like embarrassing. It, it, it looks weak. People, we're afraid that people will think there's something wrong with us. We're lazy or something. Like we haven't done our duty if we need something. And so we go to all means to have what we need. It's even almost embarrassing to to have to borrow something because it means we need something. We don't have what we need. And that's the culture we live in. And so, you know, today we have places like Walmart that if if we need anything, it's so convenient. We can just run to Walmart and get it quickly before the party or the meal or whatever it is or we need a new part for our vehicle or whatever it might be. We run to Walmart. It's so convenient. And if Walmart doesn't have it, well, we can go on Amazon and we can certainly find it there and we might can even have it tomorrow delivered right to our doorstep. You see? We don't want to look needy. And so our culture has so many things in place to take care of our need. And of course, with the invention of of the smartphone and many other similar electronic devices, 
We hardly even need Jesus anymore, do we? I mean, we have these devices and with all these helpful apps and we don't have to even pull out the paper atlas anymore. <laughs> I was just thinking that, you know, back when I was a, a young person, I made some trips to Ohio to see some friends and I didn't have a cell phone. I had an atlas. But you know, when I would tell mom goodbye on that Friday afternoon, that would be goodbye until I drove back in either late Sunday night or Monday morning. That was it. I, I didn't have a phone to call back. Mom couldn't check and see how I was doing unless she called wherever I was staying perhaps and she might have not known where that was. But that was it. I had Jesus, <laughs> and I had the Atlas, and I went to Ohio, and I came back, and the Lord took care of me, and that was just me. There's been many of you and many others, obviously, that have done that for many years, but times have changed. I had to think here recently, a couple from our church recently made a, a quick trip to Oregon for a funeral, and uh, their older children stayed behind. But, you know, they were able to keep up with dad mom's flight the whole way from Raleigh-Durham out to Portland, Oregon by just watching the app on the phone. And they, they kind of gave us play-by-play -play action as they were, as dad and mom were flying. So how are dad and mom doing? Well, they're great. Let me see here. They just went across Iowa right now. The plane looks like it's doing fine. Uh, everything should be good. Your dad and mom are fine. Okay, a little while later. Okay, yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, they're doing, yeah, everything's great. Yeah, <laughs> Every, you know, we hardly even have to pray anymore. We can just, you know, just check and make sure everything is good. And You understand where I'm coming from. This is our culture. Do we even need Jesus? Yes, dear people, we need Jesus. And as the old Negro spiritual says, if we ever need the Lord before, we sure do need him now. In fact, we need him more than we've ever needed him. We certainly do. And as we came up here this morning, we listened to the seven o'clock newscast. And I just had to think once again, boy, does our world ever need Jesus. The first story was about Hurricane Ida that is barreling down on Louisiana right as I speak and is supposedly one of the largest storms to ever hit Louisiana. Those people need Jesus right now. They do. And then the newscast went on to Afghanistan. And you're probably somewhat aware of, of the disaster that's been taking place in Afghanistan in the last few weeks. Boy, those people need Jesus. And then from there, it went on to Haiti. Boy, Haiti needs Jesus. And then it went to forest fires in California. And then it, and then it stopped. They didn't even talk about COVID. <laughs> we need Jesus more than ever before. But you know, dear people, Jesus is the answer to these problems of life. Jesus is the answer. And I would like for us to turn to Mark chapter 4 and 5 for a text this morning. And I want us to note four stories. Back to back. Starting at the latter part of Mark chapter 4 
and then through Mark chapter 5, we'd like to note four stories in which Jesus was the answer to these problems. And just draw some simple uh, conclusions for us today. But in these four stories, we're going to notice that Jesus is the answer in times of danger. Or we could also say Jesus brings hope in times of despair. That's sort of the same story. And then we move on in Mark chapter 5 and see that we need Jesus for victory over demons. And there we'll speak somewhat about spiritual warfare. And then we'll note that Jesus is the answer in times of disease. In fact, we need Jesus for healing from our diseases. And then lastly, we'll note that we need Jesus for life in times of death. But there's other stories in the Gospels and in other places in the New Testament and throughout the Bible where Jesus is the answer. And I just will briefly mention two others. In John chapter 2, we see that we need Jesus for the answers to the daily dilemmas of life. And in that story, Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. And it's true that weddings aren't an everyday occurrence. But the need was, in a sense, the need was a very ordinary need. They were out of drink. And this was embarrassing. Something went wrong. Either the people drank too much or they didn't make enough drink or more people came than was invited. We don't know. But it was a somewhat ordinary type need where they needed more wine and they were out. And Jesus was the answer to that need. We could also think of in James chapter 3 where James writes about our terrible tongue. And I say that Jesus is the answer to our dialogue. We need Jesus to, di to direct our dialogue. <laughs> and there, James writes that the tongue no man can tame. No man can tame. Implying that we need Jesus to help us tame our tongue. Without Jesus, it's hopeless. But through Jesus, there is hope in our speaking. And there's many others, but let's focus on these passages here in Mark chapter 4 and 5 this morning. And may God uh, give us direction. May God uh, give us wisdom for the needs in our lives. What do we do when we are in need? Where do we go? Who do we turn to? We'll start at verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, but in fact, let me just give a little bit of introduction leading right to this, and you'll see verses 33 and 34 where we read, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone he expounded all things to his disciples. So Jesus had just had a quite a teaching session here with the people, with his disciples. A day full of teaching. 
And now, right on the heels of that, we have an object lesson. It's as if Jesus wanted to see if they had learned their lessons. There had been much teaching. Now, have you learned? And we go into verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. You understand the magnitude of this problem, okay? Here they are sailing across the water. And this huge storm arose, you could say, out of the blue. And it's not just a little storm. This is a big deal. And these are seasoned men, okay? These men know what the water is like. These men have faced storms before, but this was a big one. And it says that the water was not only beating against the ship, but the water was coming into the ship so much so that the ship was nearly full of water, like it couldn't take on much more. Things were getting really dangerous now at this point. Verse 38, note the contrast. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. You see, Jesus was not afraid by this. Jesus was not surprised by this. This did not alarm him. In fact, Jesus, as we see, was in complete control of this storm. This storm was not above his power, not at all. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you not care, Jesus, if we drown? Does that not mean anything to you? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And notice this. And there was a great calm. And there was a great calm. Now you notice once again, Jesus is in the very center of this. At the beginning, everything looked good. It was just another evening out on the sea. At the end, there was a great calm. But you know what happened in between, and you know what the difference was. The difference was Jesus. Verse 40, and Jesus said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, the disciples thought they knew who Jesus was. They had seen Jesus do miracles before. Miracles were not completely new to them at this point. But this was different. This was different. I want you to notice 
the two words fear. Verse 40 and verse 41, it says, Jesus said, why are you so fearful? Or why are you behaving like cowards? Why are you so timid? And how is it that ye have no faith? That's a rebuke. He didn't say, why is your faith weak? He said, why is it that ye have no faith? You see, their eyes were on the storm. That's what was alarming them. And there was Jesus, the one who they had seen do miracles before. He was sleeping with them in the ship. And yet their eyes weren't on Jesus. Their minds weren't on Jesus. Their minds were on the hugeness of the storm. They were afraid for their lives. And Jesus said, you have no faith. You have no faith. Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. Now, that's a slightly different word. And there it means that they had a reverential awe of him. It's, it's a picture of worship. All of a sudden, their, their gaze left the storm, left themselves, and they looked at this one who all of a sudden could control the weather with his word. Peace, be still. And the weather changed at his command. And they looked at him with reverential awe. They worshipped him in a sense. What manner of man is this? Who is this? I find this fascinating. Because in this moment, the disciples... We're worshiping. You see, we don't get this response in previous miracles. They had seen Jesus perform miracles before. That wasn't completely new. But their response was new. In a sense, they worshipped Him. Why? Because this time, they were the ones that were saved. Okay? They were the ones that were saved. And I say, worship is always the proper response to salvation experienced. And it must happen in your life as well. If you've truly been saved, then you ought to be a worshiper of God in all of life. It should change the way you look at the storm. It should change the way you look at the Savior. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Dear people, we need Jesus for for protection in times of danger. We need Jesus for hope in times of despair. And in the daily grind of life, we, <laughs> we deal with both, don't we? Yes, we can all ponder times when we've been in danger. And in fact, in perhaps many of those situations, We look back later and say, wow, I didn't see it in the moment, but boy, the Lord protected me. The Lord protected us in that situation. What made the difference? Jesus made the difference. It wasn't luck. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't anything you did per se. It was because of Jesus. 
And it's also that in Jesus we find hope in times of despair. And you better believe it. The disciples were in great despair in this moment. What turned that around? It was Jesus. Let me just say that the same is true in our lives today. Jesus is the answer. In these daily dilemmas of life, in these times of despair, in these moments of danger, Jesus is the answer. Let's move along. We'd like to move right into chapter 5 here where we notice that we need Jesus for deliverance from demons. And I want to challenge you by saying that demons are not something only found in the jungles among the savage in Africa or in the dark alleys of San Francisco. Dear people, I firmly believe that the demon world is expressed around us in our quaint little towns among our neighbors today. We see the manifestation of that closer to home than we would like to believe, perhaps. I don't think you have to go far today to see demons at work in the lives of individuals. And we see in this story Amazing, powerful display of deliverance from demons. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Pause here. Immediately. Now, if you notice, uh, well, if you read through the Gospels much, you'll notice that Mark often uses this term. Immediately, his gospel is action-packed. Things happen right like that. Immediately, we move from this to the next, this to the next. Jesus was a busy man, and Mark brings that out very clearly. And so I want you to also notice this. They come out of this storm on the sea where Jesus did an amazing display of power in, in calming the storm and bringing deliverance and protection from danger and giving them hope in time of despair. And so you could say they were on a mountaintop. It was a mountaintop experience. But I say, beware of mountaintop experiences. Because wherever there is a mountain, there's also a valley right close by. Beware of mountaintop experiences. In fact, we noticed that a few chapters earlier where Jesus came out of his baptism. You could say a mountaintop experience, a glorious experience. And immediately the devil drove him into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights. And here once again we have a similar situation where there is a great display of power and everyone comes away pumped up and in awe. And Jesus is the answer, and immediately we have a battle to be fought. Verse 3, this man had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked. <laughs> Notice that term, not pride, plucked. It sounds so simple. 
So simple. Think about the power that is in the spiritual world. Think about the power that is in Satan and the demons. These chains had simply been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces like they were nothing at all. Like they were simply cheap plastic. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there were not, now there were there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. Now I want you to note here, whether it's people or pigs, demons destroy. Whether it's people or pigs, demons destroy. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and kill and to destroy contrasting that then, but I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You see? Satan is not, he's not here just to make life difficult. He's not here just to aggravate you. Satan and his demons are all about destruction. It's to destroy you. But catching back up here in verse 13, uh, there were about 2,000 pigs. And they were choked in the sea. Verse 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was done. And they came to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him or begged him that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. <laughs> wow, what a story. There's so many things that could be said here. I would just like to break it down this way. And that is we'd like to notice the reality of the situation. Then note the relationship. And that is the relationship between Jesus and the demons. And then thirdly, the response. The response of the one who was delivered. But note the reality here. This man had an unclean spirit. Verse 2. This man had an unclean spirit. Secondly, this man lived in a graveyard. Now, when we think of graveyards, we don't think of life. We don't think of joy. We don't think of enthusiasm. We don't think of, of, of uh, something that is benefiting culture, really. We think of death. It, it gives us a bad feeling. We generally steer away 
from graveyards. This man lived in a graveyard. Verse 2 and 3. He had his dwelling among the tombs. What was his name? Well, verse 9, his name was Legion. He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, understand that in a Roman army, a legion could be as anywhere from, say, 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. Now, just, just try to wrap your mind around that a little bit. I don't, I don't think we can even imagine, even come close to imagining the agony, the bondage, the torture that this man was in. We know that Mary Magdalene was delivered of how many? Seven devils? Well, this man says, my name is Legion, for we are many, perhaps countless. Think of the bondage this man was in. I also note that the demons were destroying him. Verse 5. He was always night and day in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. The demons were destroying this man. Makes me think of the demons that are destroying people today, whether it's drugs, alcohol, tattoos, piercings, and it goes on and on and on. The demons today are destroying people. This man was uncontrollable, verses 3 and 4. It says, no man could bind him, not even with chains. Verse 4 says, neither could any man tame him. And so I, I notice here that there were various forces at work in this man's life. First of all, we have the force of Satan that was wreaking havoc in his life, that was destroying him, that had him in terrible bondage. We then have society who was trying to control this man. And no doubt he had been to many mental clinics. He had probably been in prison in mental wards in these places. He had been in chains. Society was trying to control him and couldn't. And so we have Satan, we have society. But when he saw Jesus... You see, we have the Savior. And when he found the Savior, he found freedom. He found freedom. No man could bind him. No man could tame him. But when he saw Jesus. Now you notice that no one could control this man. No one could keep him in a certain place. He was wild. He was on the run. He would break free from anything. But notice that the demons could not keep him from Jesus. But when he saw Jesus, he ran. And he saw him afar off. He ran to him and he worshipped him. No man could tame him. No man could control him. But the demons couldn't keep him from Jesus. Talk about the mercy of God. Talk about the grace that is greater than all our sins. Talk about the love and compassion of Jesus. You notice later in the story, Jesus said, go home and tell your friends what compassion the Lord has had on you. It's because of the love and mercy of Jesus. It draws us to Him. It's like that song that we sing, I sought the Lord and 
afterward I knew it really wasn't me that was seeking, but it was Jesus that was seeking me all the time. It was that that brought me to him, truly. Because in and of myself, I don't really go after Jesus. He ran and worshipped him. But Jesus, you know, Ephesians 2 um, gives a very similar picture, except it's not this story. In Ephesians 2, it's, it's our story. It's our story. In the first few verses of Ephesians 2, it talks about, it gives a paints a picture of our place distant from God and how ugly our life is apart from God. But then, but God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions and hath risen us, and so forth and so on. A beautiful picture of restoration. But it's because of God. But God. Here we have but Jesus. Let's note the relationship. And I find this fascinating because, dear people, there is no power in the world that is greater than the power of the Almighty God. And you will see that here. As strong and as powerful as Satan and his forces are, and they are stronger than us in and of ourselves, they are. They aren't to be played with. But there is no power that is greater than the power of the Almighty God. And notice this here. The demons worshipped Jesus. Verse 6. Ran and worshipped Him. Verse 7. The demons knew exactly who Jesus was. Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God. And they also knew Jesus' place in the Trinity. He is the Son of the Most High God. The demons knew that torment, well, they, they knew that they deserved torment. They say in verse 7, I adjure thee by God, torment me not. They knew they deserved torment. Torment me not. And I also notice in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 8, the demons knew that torment was coming. And in that passage they say, did you come to torment us before our appointed time? Like they knew that they deserved torment. They knew that torment was coming. And they said, like, did you come early to torment us before our appointed time? And in fact, they begged Jesus later not to, to, uh, not to send them out of the country. And as I studied that a bit, there's other translations that give more of this feeling. Don't send us into the deep or don't send us into the abyss. Don't torment us before our appointed time. We know it's coming, but not yet. Send us into the pigs. The, the demons also knew that Jesus had complete control of them. Verses 10 and 12. He had complete control over them. Jesus had the sending power, as it were. There's so much that could be said, and we must move along. Let's just note the response of this man. We note the response of one who knows what it means to be delivered. Verses 18 through 20. This man. Well, you also note how it changed his life. Verse 15. And I don't know exactly what to do with this, dear people. I know that there are, are some who say that we need to give people time. We need to give people time. It takes people time to get over uh, sinful living. Or it takes people time 
to, to get over addictions. We need to give them time. We need to have mercy with them. I'm, I'm just not sure what to say. We definitely don't get that from this story. We definitely don't. When Jesus moves into our lives, dear people, He doesn't do it halfway. When Jesus moves into our lives, He cleans us up right. And here we see this man made an immediate change. The man who was, you saw the picture before, but now he was sitting down. Now he was fully clothed. Now he was in his right mind. It didn't happen over a course of a year. It happened now. Why? Because Jesus made a difference in his life. Jesus changed him. But notice the response. He wanted to be with Jesus. He was delivered. What a change had been taking place. He was now at peace. He was now at rest. He wanted to live with this one and be with him. And Jesus said, no, no. I want you to go home to your friends and I want you to tell them what the Lord has done for you. I want, to tell, I want you to tell them how he has had compassion on you. And this man went and published abroad what the Lord had done for him. Dear people, each one of us have a story here this morning. God has rescued you. We could go around and tell our stories about deliverance. God has rescued you. What are you doing with that story? That story is not meant to stay with you. That story is meant to be told. It is through telling that story that others then have find the key to victory as well. It's then others can come to know that Jesus who gives deliverance, who gives freedom. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom He hath redeemed out of all their troubles. Speak it out. Tell others what Christ has done for you. It may just be the key to bringing another helpless soul to the light, to freedom. Let's move to the next story. And that begins here in verse 21. And here I say that we need Jesus for healing from our diseases. Mark 5, 21, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto Him, and He was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw Him, he fell at His feet. Let me pause here and say that in the next two stories, each of the needy people found their answer at the feet of Jesus. That's significant. Here, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet. Verse 22, verse 33, the lady who was sick with a disease fell down before Jesus and told him all the truth. I say the answer to their problem was found at the feet of Jesus. What does that mean to fall at the feet of Jesus? It means to worship him. It means to confess that I have a need that I cannot fix myself. I have a problem that I need help with. It's the posture of a beggar. Please, please give me, please. It's someone who is at the end of their rope. To fall at the feet of Jesus means I give up and I ask you for help. And it's only when we come to that point that we can experience the help that only Jesus can give but we first have to give up trying verse 23 
besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Notice the faith. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood, twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent much money, or she had spent all she had, the Scripture said, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, here we are again, dear people, the other time was, but Jesus. Now it's, when she heard of Jesus, once again, Jesus is the answer. Right there He is. In the moment of need, there's Jesus. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and she touched His garment. For she said, if I may touch but His clothes, I shall be whole. Notice the faith once again. Huge. Very significant in these two stories. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, and I can imagine they said it somewhat jokingly or somewhat like, Jesus, really? Like, come on. Thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The word whole stands out to me. It's mentioned at least three times in this little story. She was confident, she had faith that if she touched the clothes of Jesus, she would be whole. And Jesus' response to her was, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And once again, I say that when Jesus does something, He does it all the way. He does it right. Now, I want us to, to note here that this woman had a very significant physical issue. It said that she had a, a blood issue here. What does it say? An issue of blood for 12 years. But I want us to understand that that was only a part of her problem. You see, because she had this physical problem with an issue of blood... It also affected her social status. It also affected her spiritual status, as it were, in that day and time. This lady was a social outcast. Because of her blood issue, she was considered unclean. She could not mingle with the rest of the people. She could not go to church in fellowship with the rest of the people, as it were. She had to be on the outside. She was unclean. She was not accepted. There was something wrong with her. And so not only was she fig uh, struggling 
significantly in a physical kind of way, but, but she was struggling mentally and emotionally with all of this. She was struggling spiritually. Oh, how she wanted to be free, probably spiritually, uh, and all of that, but because of her situation, she couldn't go like the rest of the people, and it was like a catch-22. She was stuck. But when she heard of Jesus, <laughs> you see, but when she heard of Jesus, and what did Jesus do? She came to Jesus for physical healing and Jesus healed her more than just physically. Notice what the scripture says. And I know I'm reading into it just a bit, but I cannot help but see the, the completeness of this healing within her. Verse 34, Jesus said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Notice the spiritual wholeness, the spiritual healing. And then he says, Go in peace. In my mind, I think of oh, peace in my spirit, peace in my mind, in my soul. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. It's an emotional wholeness. And then he says, be whole of thy plague. Physically, she was completely well. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, Jesus did it for this woman. Jesus was the answer to her need when she had been so many places to so many clinics to so many doctors had spent so much money and was not getting any better. In fact, she was getting worse. Can you imagine the sheer exhaustion of all of this? The scoffing. Ha ha, there she goes to another doctor. Trying another treatment. Now she's trying this. She's listening to these people. Blah, blah, blah. Oh my, how rejected. But when she heard of Jesus. Now dear people, let me make it clear. I am not making light of our good health care systems. I am not making light of the doctors that God has blessed us with in this country. Of the medications and the many, the, the many good things we have going in our healthcare today. I'm not making light of that at all. I'm simply saying that Jesus must not be second fiddle. In fact, if Jesus is Lord, then He's first place. We go to Him first, and He then gives us wisdom to move forward from there. But Jesus is first. Jesus must be first. Not second. Not third. We don't exhaust all the other options and then run to Jesus. We first run to Jesus and allow Him to direct our way from there. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases. That's our God. That's our God. Let's move on now to the last story here, starting at verse 35. And here we find that we need Jesus for victory over death. In fact, it is Jesus who gives life in times of death. Verse 35, while he, while Jesus yet spake. Now you see, Jairus is still waiting you remember that we had started with Jairus. 
And then there's an interruption. He's still waiting. And his need was urgent. His little girl was dying. We're not sure how long this interruption lasted, but it lasted long enough to bring what looked like the end to the situation. Look at what it says. There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? It's all done. Quit bothering him. Let him go. There's no more hope. She's dead. Now they had probably seen Jesus do some miracles or heard of them before, no doubt. Jesus had healed some people, but now this girl was dead. Hope was lost. And I can just sort of imagine perhaps some feelings that were stirring within Jairus at that moment. Feelings of anger. I mean, I came to Jesus and everything was fine. Jesus was coming. And then, and then someone else got in butt in line. And, and now my little girl died. And oh, so close. And now it's all over. And, oh, so close. Look what Jesus said immediately. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And I want to notice in this short story the three recorded statements that Jesus made. And this is the first one. Three recorded statements that Jesus made. And this is also what Jesus gives believers in times of death today. And the first recorded statement was words of faith. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Words of faith. And he suffered no man to follow him, verse 37, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. Now, I understand back in that day, it was somewhat common procedure to, to have professional mourners come to um, the place of death or come to the, the house of the, the family and mourn for them. And so, in order for them to have called these professional mourners, they had to be pretty certain that this girl was dead, okay? Because you wouldn't invest that money and you wouldn't go to that bother of calling in professional mourners if you weren't sure. But beyond doubt, the little girl had passed on and so they called the mourners in and these mourners were doing quite a, making quite a racket. Doing a good. Can you imagine having a job like that? <laughs> Being a paid crybaby or something? I mean, like <laughs> crying for a living? <laughs> it's hard to understand how that all worked, but wow. That was the scene when Jesus walked up. Verse 39. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado? And weep. The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. 
This is the biggest joke they ever heard. This little girl is not dead, but sleepeth. But it's in this recorded statement that Jesus offers words of hope. And, and you can imagine when Jesus spoke that, all of a sudden, a light went on in the minds of the parents. She, she's only sleeping. No, she's dead. He said she's only sleeping. Words of hope. And in fact, that's very scriptural. You can read it in the scriptures. That, that is true. When we pass away, we are only sleeping. But for a time. But for a time. Until we are raised again to new life. But Jesus offers these words of hope by saying, the damsel is not dead, but she's only sleeping. Verse 40, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the, the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, and here we have words of love and words of power. Notice the words of love, the endearing words of love to this little girl. He says, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Or, or little girl, get up. Get up. The loving words of Jesus to this little girl. And note the power. And straightway, the damsel arose. It's not the first words of power that we've heard in this message this morning, is it? No. Jesus spoke with power, with authority. Power and authority over death, over the elements, over bondage. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was at the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly or strictly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. And so we see the reality of this. This was not just a put on. This was real. She was dead. She was alive because she walked. Because uh, what else does it say? She ate. <laughs> she got up. She walked. She ate. This was real. Real proof of divine power. You know, dear people, without Jesus, our faith would be in vain. Without Jesus, we would have no hope. Without Jesus, there would be no power. And in fact, without Jesus, we would experience no power in our lives. Because it is through Jesus, through His power, that we now experience power to walk in newness of life. It is through His power that we now can, can live above the world, that we can say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. It's through that resurrection power that we experience power. Praise God for that. Wow. Maybe this seems like a simple message, but dear people, simple or not, it's profound. And there's power in the name of Jesus, that's available to each one of you this morning. And I say claim it. Take advantage of it. Live your life in the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord, you have blessed us richly uh, with another opportunity uh, to gather around your word. Now, may you take um, take this word that has been spoken, that has been read, and may you make it come alive in our lives. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to stir among us, challenge us. Lord, we want to be more committed to you. We want to open our lives up more fully to your power, to your working, to your life within us. Lord, I pray that we would avail ourselves to that and that you could truly do that within us. May you be glorified and may may each one of us be a part of strengthening this congregation and, and this group of congregations, this conference. May we each, may we each through your power be a means of sharing life and light in our fellowship. And it's because of Jesus. Amen.